Hello, this is Ricky Jones, and I want to welcome you to another broadcast of From Sunday to Monday, the podcast of River Oaks Presbyterian Church, where we talk about our sermons and answer questions and just try to make things as practical as we can. Uh, Jonathan is here with me today, and he's going to talk about his sermon uh, that he preached on Sunday. If you haven't had a chance to download it, I want to encourage you to download it and listen to it from either uh, our website or from sermonaudio.com. But Jonathan preached a really interesting sermon on what, for many people, is an extremely confusing passage. Did you find it confusing as you were studying it? For a long time, I just, yeah, it's it's misleading. It has a lot of phraseology that is not real clear, and uh, and scholars and people just have debated about it. There's, yeah. I think there's a lot of different interpretations, and... It, it just, and it also seems just kind of out of character with a lot of what's come before it. And yeah. so it's, yeah. it's a little bit of a digression. But Why don't you start us off by reading the text? It's from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 12. Yeah. He says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So summarize just kind of what, what would you say in a few words is the real confusion of that text? The confusion is that... I think it's in those words, it is impossible mm. to restore uh, to repentance someone who's once been enlightened. And, uh, and, the, and the confusion there is, well, I thought, I thought God was a forgiving God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if somebody wanted to repent, why, why is it impossible? And so that's just given rise to a lot of um, debate about what, who is this talking about? Is it talking about a Christian who can lose his salvation? Or is it talking about a Christian maybe who's just losing his rewards? Or is it talking about someone who's not actually a Christian? So what, uh, can, what's the context of that? The context is um, it's just come off the heels of, uh, of the writer 
talking about the greatness of Christ in comparison mm-hmm. to angels and then to mm-hmm. Moses and then to and then comparing him to Melchizedek even greater than uh, Aaron the, the priest and uh, and then he kind of gives this scolding mm-hmm. you know I want he says I want I want to tell you more about this I want to teach you more about Jesus but you're you become dull of hearing mm. you, know, you you ought to be ready for more solid food you know more solid doctrine but you yeah. just you just want to go back to the basics and kind of want to argue about the basics. And and, uh, and then he says, we, we need to move on from basics, um, and we'll do that. Yeah. And then, the, and then that, that sort of digression almost feels like it's, but it's impossible for someone who's done these things, been enlightened, tasted mm-hmm. the heavenly gifts, shared mm-hmm. in the Holy Spirit, tasted of the Word of God, if they fall away... To be restored. So yeah, as I you know, as I've I know you and I both have studied this um, historically in the first century, there was incredible persecution, and I think it's easy for us just to forget how hard it was to be a Christian yeah. for first century Jews. I mean, you're turning your back on everything. I I, uh, I had the privilege of baptizing a, uh, a former Hindu. And in, um, in my previous job, and it was really interesting to to talk about him and how talk to him about what all he was turning his back on. You know, mm-hmm. turning his back on not just his religion, but on his mother and on his father and on his brothers and sisters. And and uh, you know, he didn't know if they would ever want to talk to him again. And and that's the kind of thing that was going on with these first century Jews. And a lot of them just found it to be too much, yeah. and they just went back. They they quit. They left the, the Christian faith and they went back to Judaism, and, and so and that's incredibly discouraging. It's incredibly discouraging today when someone who is a believer just abandons the faith. Um, you know, I personally have a good friend who has recently renounced the faith, and he's a pastor of a church and uh, has committed adultery, and and uh, he may or may not end up renouncing the faith permanently. We don't know, but. Um, it's just soul shaking for the people around him, and um, and it leaves you really confused. And I think this text, I don't know, it's almost an inoculation. Mm. You know, to me, this text is saying, if you reject Jesus, you have nowhere else to go. And uh, for those who who've, who've turned their backs on him, there, there's no hope of salvation. There's not there's not another path out there. And uh, it's it's very grave, but it's also kind of strangely encouraging um, that that God's there to to protect His people. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what what uh, what are some things that you kind of drew from that text? What what kind of help helped you kind of see the the meaning of it as you were studying it? Well, I think the key in the text is really verse nine. When mm-hmm. when this author says, but in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And so that seems to be saying what, what came before, that description of that person who was once enlightened but then yeah. fell away, that was not a salvation experience. Yeah. It, it mimicked a salvation experience, right? Mm-hmm. Tasting the heavenly gifts, sharing in the Holy Spirit, which is mm-hmm. probably um, some... Uh, experience in worship, experience with 
having sat under biblical preaching and heard the gospel and, and started to receive it to some extent and then participate in the sacraments mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, as I said in the sermon, this is really, the, the description really is about an almost Christian. Yeah, yeah. Someone who was, who was coming, may have even looked like they were, you know, on fire for mm-hmm. Christ and, and, and coming. But then the force of the verb, really in verse 6, is once for all fallen away. Yeah. And it's, it's not, so I don't think it's that fear that a lot of us have. That, mm-hmm. Oh, well, if we, if we fall away or backslide a little bit, then, then God's not going to let us back. And he's mm-hmm. going to, at some point, my sin's going to shut the door. No, this is someone who has conclusively rejected the faith. And so I think the, the, um, that idea of it's impossible to restore to repentance is not that God would ever reject someone who's truly repenting, mm-hmm. but that somebody whose heart uh, has gotten so close to God but never been moved by real faith they have actually hardened their heart. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's an interesting thing, I think, in the Bible that, that the more you know about God, the more you actually are heaping up judgment, the mm-hmm. more you're responsible yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, you, you brought up an interesting point Sunday about perseverance of the saints, mm-hmm. that the saints are the ones who actually do persevere. It's not, it's not that one... Uh, my. My minister always, uh, my mentors always told me I needed to distinguish between the preservation of the saints and the perseverance of the saints. And it's not just that once you've made a, a one-time commitment or whatever that you're going to necessarily go to heaven no matter what you live like, but it's that God preserves, He per, the Christians persevere. They're not going anywhere. That God is in them, He's working in them, and they're not going to lose their faith. And that's a really interesting comfort. Um, you know, you said it very well Sunday. There's nobody who's who's wanting to go to heaven who's not going to be allowed in. And there's nobody in heaven who doesn't want to be there. Um, that God is at work in our hearts. And and I've just, you know, just this year started really encouraging people with that. It's funny that we have a mutual friend who he struggles with his faith fairly regularly, and uh, just recently I walked up to him and I said, I want you to know you're not going anywhere. And he's always worried about himself. He just doesn't know if he believes or not. You know? And I said, look, you're not, you're not going anywhere. If, if you were going to go anywhere, you already would have. Yep. And, um, and the Lord's got you. And even when you are at your worst, when, when you're the most angry at God, you're angry at God. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny, I think... You know, it's been said that the uh, the atheist is the person who doesn't believe in God but hates Him. Right. And uh, I think the Christian is the person who's not sure that he believes in God but he loves Him. Yeah. And uh, that's the place where we, a lot of us fall some of the time. We don't our faith isn't mm-hmm. as strong as we want it to be. Yeah. Uh, but yet, when we uh, need help, when we need comfort, we're we're calling out to God. We do believe, and we're not going anywhere. And and that's. Yep. That's that that encouragement from that from verse nine, like you said. Uh, we're, we're confident of better things for you. So, um, you said some things about the the fruits of the Christian life. It kind of left me uh, wondering, like, what do you what do you see as the fruits of the Christian life? What do you look for for someone who's uh, who's been a believer for for a long time? Well, there's that that list that Paul gives us in Galatians, the 
the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. He says it's love. It starts with love. Mm-hmm. That a Christian will truly learn to love God and love people better than he did previously. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't see us as ever perfecting no. <laughs> love, but uh, I think when someone becomes a Christian, they start. They start to learn to love a little less selfishly. There's always going to be some selfish motives in there, but a little less selfishly, a little more uh, sacrificially, mm-hmm. and 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 they can, you can see that sometimes. Uh, hopefully, sure. you should be able to see that. And, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think that's you know the the key to love. I was just reading today is you know there's just no fear in it. Mm-hmm. You're just able to give yourself away and. And that the more longer you walk with Christ and the more overwhelmed you become with how much He loves you, uh, the easier it is for you to, to give and to, to give yourself to others and to love others because yeah. you just have no fear. Yeah, and then another fruit is joy. Mm-hmm. Like I was having lunch with a man today who um, he told me he, he had been saved. Uh, God had saved him when he was 32 years old. He remembered the year, 1980. Mm-hmm. Which has been a while. Yeah. And he was still emotional and almost to the point of tears, just recounting mm. that story and how thankful he is that God saved him. Yeah. And he, he was almost ready to give up. And now he just has lived ever since that way with new joy and new mm. thankfulness. And thankfulness is another one. Just I think it's just so huge. Mm-hmm. You see it in a Christian's life to be to be thankful. Yeah, and uh, and we forget about it. We get so uh, fed up with the world and fed up with the things that we think we deserve and we're not getting, and uh, we forget about thankfulness. But I think that is a key fruit. Yeah, absolutely, and it's something that you don't see naturally. Um, you know, the natural man almost immediately becomes. Uh, gets a, an attitude of entitlement of I deserve this as soon as they get something. Mm-hmm. And I think the Christian virtue is thankfulness is that, that understanding that, uh, that I'm nothing but an unprofitable servant. I, don't, I haven't added anything to God and he, and he delights in me and everything I, I enjoy, I enjoy as a, as a gift, uh, for my father in heaven who loves me. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think that is an extremely important and rare fruit. Yeah. And then there are other fruits in that list. Peace, patience, kindness, mm. goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things. They're kind of qualities, but they work themselves out in our relationships with people. And But then I also brought out just the idea of good works mm-hmm. being fruit. And, uh, you know, the original command to be fruitful God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden, which mm-hmm. would have meant have children, mm-hmm. but then also make the world a good place, a place of flourishing for, for all living beings. And, uh, and so that was a very physical command mm-hmm. for Adam and Eve, uh, and then for Noah, who God repeated that command for. But in the New Testament, it's often, it, it's still physical, but it's often put in spiritual terms, and I think Jesus uses similar language in the Great Commission, go and make disciples, mm-hmm. which is a way of being fruitful uh, spiritually, teaching people, 
baptizing them, bringing them into the church, teaching them to obey all I've commanded them, making making spiritual children almost. Mm-hmm. Um, that idea of discipleship, I think, is a is a fruitful outpouring of the Christian life, sharing sharing what you know and sharing how to walk with Jesus with other people. Sure, sure. Which is uh, an outworking and just loving people, really. Yeah. So. Well, that's great, man. Is there anything else that you want to, before we close down this short podcast, anything else you'd want to share from from your study of this confusing text? Yeah. Do well, you have any questions about it? You know, I, I didn't really get any questions. I just had a number of people say, I never thought about it hmm. like that. And so that's always very gratifying yeah. as a pastor. And, and I think even though it, it seems difficult, it seems discouraging um, in parts, but I think ultimately it ends with hope and, and continues the hopeful mm-hmm. message of the book of Hebrews. And verse 10, the, the writer really gives a real understatement. And he says, God is not so unjust as to overlook your love and the love mm-hmm. that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And uh, I say it's an understatement because, yeah, he doesn't just overlook, not overlook your works. He also delights. He delights in every one of them. Works. Yeah. And he takes joy in them and he rewards us for them. Even though he, he prepared them for us to do, he empowers us to do them. Mm-hmm. And yet he still rewards us. That is uh, extravagant. That's extravagant generosity. grace right there. It, it is. is. Well, thanks, Jonathan. This is going to wrap up our uh, podcast for the day. If you have any questions, please send them to uh, email them to info at riveroakstulsa.com. And uh, we would love to uh, explore those questions with you. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.